Amen. Good morning, everybody. Are you all awake? Are you sure you're awake? Lewis, wake up. <laughs> well, I just want to real, real quick preface before we start. Um, just on the, on the whole facet of uh, a culture of honor. Um, Pastor Phil and I, we have many conversations um, multiple times a month just getting together and connecting on what the Lord is doing here. Where are we in terms of what the Lord is speaking to us? And how do we go about stewarding what the Lord is doing here in a special way? And one of the things that we believe, because we see it in scripture so many times, is establishing a culture of honor. And not just honoring guest ministers, which I want to give props to this community because y'all are amazing at just honoring guest, guest speakers that come into this house and just loving on people in general. Um, and, but I, I want to focus specifically on like what just happened with, with, with Cheryl. When we clap and we cheer someone on, what you're doing specifically is you're not rejoicing and celebrating the person's ability. What you're doing is you're expectant and you're excited and you're cheering on the Jesus in them and what they carry. Yes. It's what they carry. It's not necessarily who they are. So it's just, and it helps us recognize too why we're even doing this in the first place is when you come into an atmosphere and people cheer and are excited when so-and-so comes up to tell you announcements, <laughs> you know? But what that does is instead it's, pull, it's putting a draw on the Jesus in them and what they carry. And so I just want to encourage us in that, that I pray that we would be a community that, man, we would just go bonkers and love and support and just go crazy for anyone of this house anytime they come up here because we love what they carry. You guys know what I'm saying? Okay, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. You got your Bibles? Yes. Do you have your Bibles? Do you have your Bibles? Yeah. Let's go, fam. All right, guys. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're diving in to Acts 2. Well, I'm, I'm so honored and, and, and grateful to be able to bring the word to you guys, but I'm also very like, man, Lord, let me, let me be obedient here. Let's do what you want to talk about. And so that's why we are known as the bride of Christ. Scripture points to that. Revelation twenty two seventeen, I believe it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. So when the Lord looks at his church, he sees a bride because when he comes back, he's coming back for a wedding, for a marriage. And so I just want to get that out of the way from the get-go that anytime people try to make you think that the term bride for the church is incorrect, it's very much the heart of God. When he looks at you, he sees a bride. But it's what kind of a bride is he coming back for? And that's what we're doing. When we meet together week to week to week, when we do prayer meetings and prayer gatherings, what's happening is you are becoming more like Jesus, not because you're attending these events or you're coming on Sunday mornings. You're becoming more like him because it's what you're doing when you're here. When we come into this setting, 
we're receiving words and we're worshiping and loving Jesus, but there's a different anointing on the corporate gathering than there is on the one-on-one gathering. The one-on-one time with you and the Lord is between you and him. And then when you get here, he moves in a way which is very special for the corporate gathering. And it's beautiful to watch that happen. But that being said, when we are the bride of Christ, the topic of conversation for the bride will always be the bridegroom. I'm going to say that one more time. The topic for the bride at all times is the bridegroom. Because it's the expectation for, for those of you who just got back from, the, from, from the, the marriage retreat. I'm sure the entire time you were engaged, the only thing you could think about, talk about, plan for was your life with the person that you were engaged to, your future spouse. And so every day that you took a step, you were preparing yourself to be joined in union and covenant with each other. And so for us as being the bride, our only topic, our only conversation, our only desire and thought should be our bridegroom because we're engaged to him. And I love that because scripture even says that he has given us, some translations say he has given us the Holy Spirit as an engagement ring, as an engagement ring, a promise of what's to come. So when you are, when you're walking in relationship with Jesus and you're walking with Holy Spirit, he's the ring on your finger. So that when the world comes your way and tries to woo you into other things, you say, I'm already promised to one. I'm already promised to one. And so he becomes our topic because we're the bride, he's the bridegroom, we're engaged to him. And so as we talk about Jesus, we become more like him, but he has to become our only topic, our only conversation. We don't need to talk about what's going on in the world right now. There's plenty of other people that can cover what's going on in the world. We need to focus on what is happening in heaven that is affecting the world. Because many times what's happening on, on actually, I'll say, I'll say this, that what's happening on the earth today is a direct reflection of what's taking place in the spirit realm, whether it be the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of hell. And so we have to have an understanding of the spiritual aspect of things. And it's all found throughout scripture. But talking about Jesus keeps your mind with hope. You look at the world around you and you see hope in every situation. We, don't, we no longer talk about how bad something is. But instead, we talk about the restoration of the king coming coming to bring peace into these situations, coming to bring restoration and hope into these situations. And I want to quote Charles Spurgeon. He was at a a meeting one time and listened to a pastor preach. And this was something that he had said to this pastor after he got done. Charles Spurgeon said, the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour. And then he looked at the pastor and he said, is there no Christ in your message? Go home and never preach again until you have something worth saying. Is there no Christ in your sermon? Go home and don't speak a word until you have something worth saying. And so I just want to encourage us that I'm just going to talk about Jesus this morning. 
It's going to be good. It's going to be exciting. Um, so if you're there in Acts chapter 2, I really have had burning on my heart recently to focus this morning on this topic, the Lordship of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, man, just maybe put that at the top. Lordship of Jesus. And we're just going to go through and really discover who Jesus is when you look at him as Lord. So in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 22 through 24 and then verse 32 through 36. We're going to bounce around a little bit. It's going to be beautiful. So what's happening here in Acts chapter 2, I'll just set it up, set the stage. Acts chapter 2, many of us know, but if you didn't know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit takes place in Acts chapter 2. There's so much that led to this moment, prophecies, words of knowledge, Jesus promising us that when he would leave, the Holy Spirit, the helper would come and would be the manifest presence of God on the earth today. And so Acts chapter 2 is that moment of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God coming and flooding the earth and filling his people in a way that had never been seen before. So in Acts chapter 2, they're all waiting in the upper room, the same upper room that Jesus broke the bread and poured the cup. And oh my goodness, it's so crazy that that's like the same place because there's just so many parallels in scripture. But that takes place, there's 120 of them in the upper room. A wind, it says that a mighty rushing wind filled the room and people all around the city of Jerusalem could hear the wind. They were drawn to it. And so God, Holy Spirit fills the disciples. They began to speak in other languages. And many times we, we associate that with they spoke in tongues, but they spoke in other languages because other people in the city that spoke those languages knew what they were saying. They were glorifying God in their own native languages. And so I'm like, man, Lord, anytime you want to bless me with another language, just like that, let's go. I'm down for it. But so anyways, a bunch of people are drawn to it. And in the midst of a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get two things, people that jump right in and people that stand by and criticize every time, every time. And I thank you, Lord, that we're full of a room of people that are just going to jump right in whenever, Lord, whenever you want to pour it out, we're ready. We're not going to test it. We're going to jump in. And so, anyways, so this is happening. And Peter, the first gospel message after the cross is preached right here in Acts chapter 2. And so Peter sees all the confusion, all these people, and he gets up and he addresses them. And the first thing that he does is, one, first of all, Peter did not have the gospels to refer to. The gospels were not written. They were being they, they were starting to write the Gospels and documenting the life of Jesus on the earth. But Peter did not have the Gospels to refer back to. And so what he's going on is the first thing he does is he reminds the people of the prophecy that came through the prophet Joel. And so Peter instantly goes to the scriptures and reminds them that what is taking place now was foreseen years ago. It was prophesied. And so he speaks the prophecy, and many of us, we've, we know the prophecy. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men will have visions. Old men will dream dreams, and so on and so forth. And then when Peter finishes documenting the prophecy to remind them of what's happening in this moment, he instantly turns his eyes to Jesus. 
And he says this in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus could not be held by death because he who created the ground, the ground couldn't hold him. It's beautiful. And then I'm just going to read in verse 32 to 36. He goes on and he writes, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So what is Peter doing here? He's going back to one of the most beloved leaders of Israel. And he's saying, this is not just my words, that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is Lord. He's saying, your most notable leader, David, who knew God better than any other king of Israel, spoke these words and said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David was prophesying and speaking of Jesus. And then it goes on in verse 36. Peter is speaking and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Jesus is Lord, not because man said so. Jesus is Lord because the Father said he is Lord. And when the Father puts something in motion, you better take it as the Father says it because you can't change that. And so when we see Jesus here, we see that the only reason why Jesus has become Lord is because he is the only one who stepped down, lived a sinless life, laid down his own crown, took on a crown of thorns, had holes in his hands, holes in his feet, a hole in his side, descended into the belly of the earth for three days, ascended, was risen again, walked on the earth, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father and is now enthroned in glory forever. This is Jesus. And he is Lord of lords and king of kings. But I think as Christians, we may have grown too familiar with the term Lord. We treat it very casually. I definitely have. And it wasn't until recently that I recognized the magnitude of what you're even saying when you say Lord Jesus. It's not the same as saying doctor. It's not the same as saying, you know, ambassador or even king. But Lord is totally different. And I want us to look here at the fact that Lord, the word Lord derives from the Greek word kurios, which means he who completely owns something about which he has power of deciding. So when you say Lord, 
You're telling Jesus that you have complete and total authority of every part of my being. You're not just saying, Lord Jesus, as in, I still have rights. When you are referring to him as Lord, you are admitting in and of yourself, I lay down my rights, I lay down my opinions, I lay down my voice, and I take up yours instead for your glory, for your name. And that's the thing is, the thing I love about Jesus is he, he, he's, he's not a narcissist. Like he's, he's not power hungry. He doesn't want power. He has it all. He wants love. And he is the only Lord on the, like in, 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 in history. He's the only Lord that his goal through you serving him is you become more like him. Any other Lord you serve on this earth, you're serving them for them to be exalted and you get nothing in return. Nothing in return. But Jesus says, you serve me, you love me, you give yourself completely to me because you were made for this. You were made to live like this. You were made to not have your own opinion. When you have your own opinion apart from Jesus, you're actually hurting yourself. You're putting yourself at a disadvantage because now you're beginning to formulate boxes that Jesus never built for you to operate in. And that's where we get into situations where we begin to limit God instead of walking in the fullness of what he's called us to. Because I don't know about you guys, but walk through a bookstore. All it is, is people's opinions. What people are writing about based upon their experience, based upon what they've seen, dreams they've had, everything like that. All of the, and I'm telling you, you got some thick boys in there too, right? But not even, I'm not even talking like non, or I'm not even talking like fiction and novels and things like that. Go to a Christian bookstore. And there are so many commentaries and arguments about the nature of God. And it's, it's experience clashing with deity. And there's no clarity to it because man has come to this point of, as I've seen it, that's how it is. And we belittle God to this experience here. And when God is not Lord here, what happens here changes the narrative of how you see God here. And that's something we cannot afford to allow ourselves to, to walk in. Because if Jesus is truly Lord, then this is what happens. You don't have the right to see this the way you want to see it. And I know that may sound strong. I know that may sound harsh. But it's the true reality of the fact. Perfect example. Peter's walking on water. Right? He's looking at Jesus. He's seeing Jesus as Lord. Because guess what? Nobody can walk on water. But Jesus is saying, when you look at me, I change the narrative of what's normal to you. I change it. Because in Paul, in, in, in Peter's opinion, I'm sure Peter was thinking, why in the world am I not sinking? But he's just looking at Jesus. But the moment he changes the narrative, the moment he takes his eyes off of Jesus and is more preoccupied, and he's now recognizing those waves are pretty big, the wind is pretty gnarly right now. I wish I had a surfboard because I'm going down. Like, this is what happens. And so now he's more preoccupied with the craziness of the world around him 
with the chaos of what's happening instead of realizing that Jesus wasn't coming to Peter to calm the storm. He was coming to Peter to show him peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of the storm. And Jesus wants us to live in that area of total reliance on him and that can only be possible when he is Lord. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay, I just want to make sure. So how is Jesus Lord? One reason is that he went to the cross. Another reason why he is Lord is go to John chapter 1. Or swipe to John chapter 1. Once you get to John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, this is another reason as to how Jesus is Lord. And in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Hold up. All things were made through him. Through Jesus, everything was made. So that means the chair you're sitting on wouldn't be able to be held together without Jesus. Just, it's okay. You can expand your mind for a second. These flags would not exist without Jesus. The, the temperature in the room would not exist without Jesus. Are you guys following me? Like this is what, when Jesus is saying this, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So John is just prefacing it right off the bat by saying, Everything that is made was made through Jesus, and there is nothing that exists outside of him. Absolutely nothing. Anytime you see something that the world does and they say it's new, they're borrowing from what God gave them. They can't create anything. All they can do is try and put a different coat of paint on it, make it sound a little bit weirder, and voila, there you go. (laughs) In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So how is Jesus Lord? Nothing exists apart from him. You submit to him. We give our all to Jesus because without Jesus, we wouldn't be standing here right now. And it's like, I, I, I talk to the Lord and I'm like, Father, I never want to become so preoccupied or so familiar with the phrase, everything exists because of Jesus, and lose the magnitude of what I'm saying. Everything exists. That means the world would flip off of its axis if it, if it wasn't for Jesus. There would be chaos everywhere. Actually, you'd probably, the world would probably just blow up. <laughs> no Jesus, no nothing. And yet, we don't give him the attention and the focus he deserves in so many different areas. This isn't to bash us. This is just to be like, hey, Jesus is actually doing a lot more as you're sitting here. Think about this. The one that created the stars was walking the earth. And at the exact same time that he's walking the earth, he's holding the universe in the palm of his hand, making sure that not a, not a single thing is out of place. 
He's sleeping on the, on the bow of a boat in the midst of a storm. And while he's sleeping, he's totally aware of new babies being born, new life being brought into the world. Not a single one slips through his fingers. This is Jesus. And so he is worth everything. Another reason why Jesus is Lord is in John chapter 11. You can go there with me if you want. If not, I'm still going. John 11, 25 and 26. It's uh, the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was very close, near and dear to Jesus. Mary and Martha, Jesus had already been to Bethany. Mary was in love with Jesus. Martha was in love with him too, but she loved serving him. (laughs) Mary loved loving on him. And Martha's getting this mentality. She's figuring it out. And anyways, in verse, verse 25 and 26 of chapter 11, Jesus speaks because Martha is having this conversation with him. Well, I, I, I'll go back to verse 20. Martha, it says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha's basically telling Jesus, no, I, I know. I know he'll, he'll, he'll rise again. But it's in what was prophesied in the scriptures talking about the day of resurrection. When all of us, <laughs> when all of us. And so, but what Jesus was saying is Jesus was saying, I'm not talking about resurrection is coming then. Because little did Martha know that she was speaking to he who is the resurrection and the life. He's the reason why there is a resurrection day. And so Jesus speaks to her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus right away is saying, I'm the reason you're alive and I'm the reason you continue to live. He doesn't just resurrect, but he brings life and sustains life. It's how he works. There is no death in him. There can't be any death in him. We, in these current bodies, all we know is every day we're closer to death. It's not me being morbid. (laughs) It's just me being honest. I have never been closer to death than I am right now because I've never been this old before or this young, you know? We'll go with that one. Never been this young. So Jesus is the reason why I'm still breathing. He's the breath in my lungs. He's the sight in my eyes. He's the sound in my ears. He's the beat in my heart. He's my, he's my lungs expanding and retracting. It's, it's all of it. Jesus is, is walking in my footsteps. He's moving through my hands. You wouldn't have any of this without Jesus. And so when we say he is Lord of all, what does all mean? You can talk back to me. It's okay. What does all mean? All, everything. Yes. All means all. So let's not limit what all means. When he says he's Lord of all, and we sing that. One of my favorite songs is Be Enthroned. 
and uh, it's being thrown upon a thousand, be, being thrown upon the praises of a thousand generations. You are worthy. And in the bridge, it says, "Highest praises, Lord of all." And sometimes I allow myself to get familiar with that because it's a song. It's like, well, I just sing it. I sing it. Lord of all, Lord of all. You're worthy of it all. That's a good one. All the saints and angels, they bow before your throne. The smallest, one of the smallest words, three letters, covers everything about him. All is all. And so when you sit here and you say, Jesus, you can have me, all of me. That means he's got your breath, he's got your sight, he's got your smell, he's got your touch, your taste. He's got every molecule of who you are. He's got your dreams, your visions, your passions, your desires, your family. He's got all. When you give him permission to take all, he takes you at your word and he takes it. He takes it all. But it comes down to us giving it to him. Us giving it to him. So for Jesus to be all, you can't live on the fence with Jesus. There was a story I heard one time of an atheist. He was really adamant that there was not a God. And he went to bed one night, and when he went to bed, he had a dream. And in this dream, he was in, he was in a field, just miles and miles and miles of, of grass, green, luscious grass, grass. And in the middle of this field, there was a fence. And on both sides of the fence, there were two individuals, there were two people, and he looked he looked on one side and he saw someone that appeared to look like Satan. And on the other side, he assumed it was Jesus. And ultimately it was Jesus. And he knew in the dream that he had to decide. And so what he did was he ran and he jumped on the fence. And Satan came over to him in the dream and he said, good choice. And he looked at Satan and he said, no, 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 no. Like, I, I didn't choose you. I didn't choose him and I definitely didn't choose you. And Satan said, sure you did. The fence belongs to me. Mm. Needless to say, he woke up and immediately gave his life to Christ. <laughs> he woke up and gave Jesus all, gave Jesus everything. And so it's impossible for he who is Lord of all to have part of. It's impossible for Jesus, who is all, to be included in something. He is either everything, all of it, or none of it. And I even love what, what, what an amazing person said, which was Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We have to get off the fence. We have to open up completely and give Jesus what he truly desires. James 4.4 4 is a perfect example of this, and I'll just read it. It says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the Lord already right here is just letting you know how black and white his heart is. He's like, I will not share you because I didn't withhold anything from you. And it's not, it's, it's, he, he, he's not talking about like, right now in the sense of, Lord, there's so much I don't know. There's like, I have so many questions. I have so many un like uncertainties. I don't know. The Lord is saying, I have not withheld anything from you and my all being my son. Because when Jesus came, he poured everything out. All of Jesus for all of you. Mm 
When we say he spilt every drop of his blood, he did. It wasn't he partially gave some here or partially gave all here or he could have taken more over here. Scientists have looked and time and time and time again, they're amazed at the crucifixion because there is no way in the world that any man would have even made it past the whipping post because of the blood loss, because of the muscle damage, because of everything that you endure on the whipping post. And yet Jesus made it further than the whipping post, but he even had to carry his own cross all the way up to Golgotha, and not only just then, be nailed into said cross and hang on a cross for six hours. He is Lord. He gave all. And even then, man didn't kill him, he gave his life. When they came to him, oh, and I love this so much, it says that it was late in the day and they, to, to, because the Pharisees, oh my gosh, the Pharisees, they didn't want crucifixions to be going on while the Passover was coming. And it was the day before the Passover. And so the Pharisees asked if they could have those crucified, if they could have their legs broken so that way it would, it would, uh, yeah, thank you. It would hasten the, 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 de- the dying. <laughs> and so the two criminals on both sides of Jesus had their legs broken, and by the time they got to Jesus, he was already gone. And what that was, was that was a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to Moses in regards to the Passover. In the Passover, the Lord is speaking to Moses, and he's saying, every one of the house of Israel will take a spotless lamb. You'll prepare it, and you will not break one bone of its body. And scripture tells us that Jesus endured all the tortures and the horrible things of the cross and yet not a bone in his body was broken. This is Jesus. He is Lord. This is Jesus. And that's what I love so much is the ultimate call of the Christian life is that we are transformed into his image. It's not to go and reach souls. And I want you guys to like really like hear what I'm saying here. I'm not against reaching souls. I mean, for crying out loud, we're literally going to go evangelize and love on people. And that is our goal is to manifest Jesus to people. But how can you manifest someone that you don't know what they look like, what they sound like, what they act like? And so before you even think about going out to represent him, you got to look like him. You got to live like him. You got to talk like him. Know what he wants when he wants it and give it to him for as long as he wants it. Why do we sing for as long as we do? Because our goal here is not to get through the worship set. Our goal is to be obedient because first of all, he gives us the songs. We start the songs and in the middle of the set, we're constantly thinking to ourselves, Lord, do you want us to wait here? Do you want us to move on? Do you want us to sit and stay? Or do you want us to move into the next thing? It's a conversation between the Lord. It's like, Lord, we're bringing to you an offering of what you wanted us to bring to you. Now, how you, you're the one who decides the portions. You're the one that decides how much meat you want, how much potatoes, how many carrots do you want? <laughs> I'll just put it in elementary terms. And all that, like, we're preparing this dish. We're preparing this meal for the Lord. 
a resting place. Because when you recognize it, one of the, one of the core aspects of a resting place is food. You eat a hearty meal, and then you go and you sleep. <laughs> you go and you take a nap. And so when we're doing this in this environment, what we're doing is we're bringing to the Lord a meal that he gave us all the ingredients. He gave us everything. And was like, all you're responsible for is just feeding me, ministering to me, loving me with what I've given you. And so we bring him this dish and we say, okay, Father, you just tell us, okay, too much potatoes? We'll move that off to the side. All right, you want more meat? We got this. And it's not because he's picky. It's because he knows what he wants. And he wants us as his kids to know what he wants. Because he wants you. He wants you to be the one that's bringing it to him. He could have the angels bring him everything. I mean, for crying out loud, there's myriads upon myriads of angels surrounding the throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy. What does that mean? Ten thousands among ten thousands around the throne, and yet God desires and longs for your yes, for your yes, for your yes, and yours. He desires it. So I'm just going to keep rolling here. I don't want to take up too much more time, but <laughs> I'll just hit on this real briefly. When the Lord, when, when, when Jesus is Lord and something doesn't go the way I think it should, I don't get to make up a theology that fits my experience. Instead, I come under his authority and allow him to define my experience. Whenever I pray for someone and they don't get healed, I don't all of a sudden get to change what I think about healing within the context of my personal experience. And the world always says, well, you can't argue with experience. But that's the thing is we're not relating based on our experience. We're relating based on Jesus' experience. Because Jesus came and he was surrounding himself with people that all they were relating to was their current experience. Lazarus is the perfect example. Lord, it's been three days. His body is already starting to decompose. And Jesus is saying, this is not my experience. He can't stay dead when I'm here. He can't stay down when I'm here. Because death cannot be present when life is in the room. Sickness cannot be present when healing is in the room. It can't coexist it doesn't know how to operate when you turn the lights on. Guess what? Darkness leaves. And so Jesus is begging us this morning, do not allow your personal life experience to change what I've spoken in Scripture. Jesus is our, the way, the truth, and the life. So if it goes against what Jesus saw, it's not my time to be like, well, clearly there's something wrong with what Jesus said. Instead, it's my responsibility to look at it and bring it before the Lord in the secret place and say, Father, I walked out in this with the belief that you are the healer and I still believe that you're the healer. But Father, clearly there's nothing wrong on your end. Show me how I need to reposition myself. Show me what I need to change so I can see what you see. I need to see it the way you see it. And that's why we need the heart of God because sometimes we look at a situation and go, oh, we just need to do it like this. Well, guess what? Israel did that, and they got their butt kicked a few times. The Lord was wanting to instill in them a mentality that said, 
no matter what it is, you always come to me because guess what? He's Lord. When he's Lord, you run back to him every time. It doesn't matter if you've done service. I mean, we've been a church now for what? Going on five years in February. And it's, it can be very easy to walk into church and be like, well, we know what to do, guys. Let's never do that. We walk in every week and instead we go, Father, we're in the same building and the same environment, but Father, you're doing a new thing. You have fresh bread. What is it? And how do we need to change the way that we're, pro- the way, the way that we're approaching you so you can do specifically what you want to do? You, that follow? Okay. I'm just going to hit on just a couple things just real quick. And this is really burning in me. And, and I'll close out with this. And it's I just want to touch on the fact that Jesus being Savior does not automatically mean that he is Lord. All right, I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus being Savior does not automatically mean he is Lord. The thing I love about Jesus is he gives us a choice. And one of the choices he's given us is he is right now, and from the moment he died on the cross, he became the Savior of the world which means everyone who ever has lived or ever will live on the earth has been saved. The thing is, not everyone can grab a hold of the finished work of Jesus. That's what sets us apart, those that are saved and those that are not saved. Jesus is savior to everyone. He doesn't become savior when they accept him. He is their savior right now, but they don't believe it because they're not walking in it. And so it's important for us as lovers of Jesus to present the opportunity to be like, did you know that there was someone that saved you? There was someone that died for you? You were headed for death, but someone went instead and his name is Jesus and he wants to invite you into personal relationship. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And so... Jesus being Savior doesn't automatically mean he's Lord, but there are so many people that think him being Savior means he's Lord. But it's not one and the same. Jesus being Savior reveals his saving power over sin. And Jesus being Lord keeps the power of sin void from my life. So I'll say it this way. Jesus the Savior saves you. Jesus the Lord keeps you saved. Because it's a lifestyle. It's not just, all right, I got Jesus and nothing changes. Everything changes. And that's the whole thing is I love that there's been this change in the language when we're leading people to Jesus. It's no longer invite him into your heart. Because that was never the goal is to just be like, Lord, come and just live here. But it's instead, no, give him your life. Give him all of you. All of you in exchange for all of him. Because he's only going to pour out as much of himself as you want. You can have as much of Jesus this morning as you want. As much or as little. But Jesus is inviting us into this. The Savior reveals his saving power over sin. And Lord keeps you void from the power of sin. Savior brings you here and the Lord keeps you here. One last way of saying that is Jesus the Savior is looking to you this morning and he's saying, give me your sin. And Jesus, the Lord, is looking right back at you saying, give me your life. He's inviting us into this. And the thing is, it seems scary to us because guess what? When he's Lord, you have no control. 
you have absolutely zero control. You don't get to decide where you live. You don't get to decide where you work. You don't get to decide. He decides where you live. He decides where you work. I'm not saying we can't have dreams and desires and passions. Scripture specifically says that he knows the desires of your heart. He knows what you like better than you do. And when we are convinced of that, then we actually live our lives ready to do whatever he tells us to do because I'm convinced, Lord, clearly I'm going to enjoy this more than I think because I'm with you. And that even means in the midst of persecution, you're enjoying yourself. That makes no sense. <laughs> I remember one time I was going through a really hard season, but I had been meditating on the verse that says, take joy when you're met with trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance produces character, character produces hope, and this hope doesn't disappoint. I remember one day at work, Jay knew what I was going through, and Jay looked at me, and he was like, man, you are like the happiest guy going through a hard time that I've ever seen. And I was like, it was a shocker to me because I felt like it was really starting to get to me. But I really, that really stuck with me because I was like, wow, you mean I'm actually, the scripture is being fruit, like it's bearing fruit in my life. And that's the thing is, is you may be here this morning, you've been spending time in the scriptures and spending time in his presence, but you don't feel like you've been seeing the difference in the time you've been putting in with the Lord. And you've been genuine, pouring out your heart before the Lord. But you just maybe have felt like you're not seeing as much of the results as you thought you were. And the Lord is bringing us to this point because when he is Lord, he puts you in scenarios that put pressure on you. And what comes out when pressure is applied is those things that you have been spending time in. When you spend time in him and you spend time in the scriptures, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I just don't remember the scriptures like I used to. But then you're put into a situation where instantly it just comes out of your heart. It comes out of your spirit. And you're like, wow, I had that happen the other day because I was starting to get frustrated. I was like, man, Lord, like, I feel like I'm just running in circles. I feel like I keep going back to the same verses and the same, I keep treading the same paths. But the Lord was reminding me of a situation where I handled it differently because of the scripture. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's actually happening. It's just, it's, it's, it's normal. The Lord's bringing us into this normality in the spirit of walking in things. And so I just want us to re recognize that, that Jesus the Savior says, give me your sin. And Jesus the Lord says, give me your life. Can we close our eyes? Thank you, Jesus. When Jesus is Lord, he gets to define everything. He defines who you are. He defines what you do. He defines how you do it. And he defines what an amazing man of God said. I, I love this. He said that Jesus defines greatness. And Jesus defines greatness through the cross. And so... If you're here this morning and Jesus is Savior, you've given your life, but he's not Lord, meaning as in you've only given him part of your life. He's inviting you into this total immersion with him, this total reliance on him. 
And this goes for me too. It's like he's, he who is all cannot be part of. He doesn't want to be part of. As a matter of fact, in scripture, he said, I'll spit you out if you try to be half and half. And I don't want to be spit out. And so this morning, if Jesus has not been all to you, he wants to be. And he loves you enough to give you this opportunity to just say, hey, give me everything or give me nothing. But the choice is yours. He would much rather you tell him no than to say yes and live a no. Because he sees you, he sees our hearts. And so right now with nobody looking around, if you're here and Jesus has not truly been Lord, and by Lord, I mean you have not given him access to 100% of who you are, just raise your hand. If you want Jesus to be Lord of all, and you know you haven't yielded yourself to him like you know you need to, he's not Lord of all. So we want to pray for that in Jesus' name. pray and as I pray I just want all of us to just repeat after me and just fix your eyes on Jesus and just say it straight to him just say it straight to him just repeat after me and just say Jesus I love you I'm sorry for times that I have held back from you I thank you that I have been invited into personal relationship with you. Jesus, be my Lord. Be all in all. I don't hold anything back. I open up to you. And I choose this day to give you whatever you want, whenever you want it, for as long as you want it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And just right there where you're sitting, just, just love on Jesus. Just take these next couple moments and just love on Jesus. Just begin to tell him how beautiful he is. Just begin to tell him how thankful you are for his goodness, for his mercy, for his character. Just love on Jesus for these next couple moments.